But the name of God who created and loves us all. Amen. Let me just say at the outset that what we will be focusing on for the next few moments might be termed the theology of hospitality. My first reading this morning from the Old Testament was from the prophet Amos. For me, I think the point of power in that text probably was the line that spoke to what the author considered to be extreme in hospitality. But he said that God is neither pleased nor amused by those who trample on the needy or who bring ruin to the poor. There was an alternative text this morning, as there always is, in the season of Pentecost. The alternative story would have been from the book of Genesis. It's a well-worn, well-known, very familiar story. It is a story that involves the patriarch Abraham, who is depicted in this story as the exemplar, really the epitome of hospitality. <clears throat> you know the story. There are these three men who show up at Abraham's doorstep, and he just cannot do enough, Abraham. In fact, he didn't even wait for the three men to get to his doorstep. He ran out of the house as he saw them off in the distance, and he runs out to meet them. At first, he gives them some water. It is the top of the morning, as the British might say. The text says, this is, this is the heat of the day. So Abraham gives them water and provides shade, and he washes their feet. Now, Abraham presumes these three men to be angels. The text is not terribly clear on that, but the implication is certainly there. And that is certainly how Abraham took these three men to be angels, messengers of God. But there are three men. And after Abraham has made them comfortable, Abraham runs to his wife and says, in effect, Honey, we have company. Would you be so kind as to whip up some bread and side dishes? I'm going out to find the fatted calf and have it killed. In other words, let's let you and me get busy putting together a really great meal for these our guests. <clears throat> and the guests indeed ate and ate well. And while they are eating, Abraham was so attentive to their needs that neither he nor Sarah ate a thing. They just waited on their guests, seeing to their every need. And then in the course of things, these three men predict, you know, that they will be back next year and that at that time, Sarah will be with child and, you know, the rest, Sarah and Abraham are uh, not too easily persuaded as to this potentiality, but the rest, as they say, is history. The point is this text would seem 
to demand hospitality. To be hospitable pleases God. To be inhospitable displeases God. When we are hospitable, we might even be boasting angels unawares. <coughs> and hospitality is apparently associated with good things and good news and even <coughs> blessings. So with all this said, what's with this story of Mary and Martha placed within the context of these readings? This story where Mary and where Martha's preparations are to ensure that their guest, Jesus, is well taken care of. These activities would seem in this story to be not particularly endorsed by Jesus. These activities having to do with being so hospitable towards him. So what's going on here? Well, in this latter story, with which I imagine most of us are already familiar, Martha is in a tizzy, trying to see that their guest is taken care of. By all accounts, this particular house, Mary and Martha's, that they shared with their father Lazarus, was a favorite place of Jesus' country, where he felt like he could rest for a while and just sort of be, be there. And we don't know if Jesus had been expected or just sort of showed up on the doorstep that morning like the angels who came on Abraham and Sarah, but the story kind of leads me to believe that Jesus has showed up unexpectedly. Therefore, Martha's reaction, I imagine, is to go into overdrive. You see that there is a proper deal. I bet she's made, she's kind of taken off at some moment time. She maybe wouldn't be missed for a few moments. Checked out the guest room to make sure it was in order. I bet that for the past several hours she's even discreetly been sort of going around tidying up and dusting a bit. But then all of a sudden, all of a sudden it all boils over. You find Mark standing in the doorway with an apron on, spatula in one hand and the other hand on her hip, no doubt. <laughs> her hair is in disarray. I imagine she had flour on her face. <laughs> Jesus, are you going to sit there and let Mary dope over you while I'm killing myself in this kitchen trying to get some dinner put together for us? Pretty good vision, you know. You ever thought Jesus somehow did not live in the real world? Just get this picture in your head. Jesus lived in the real world, all right, and his teaching are about real world. Mark, Mark, you are worried and distracted by many things. If there is need only one thing. Is hospitality a good thing, a thing pleasing to the Lord, such as we saw exhibited by Abraham and Sarah? Or is hospitality a thing displeasing to the Lord? Kind of seems sort of a way to be what Jesus is saying, what this story seems to be saying. So we can be a little, we can be forgiven for being a little confused. And can we have it both ways? Is 
question, and the answer turns out to be sort of yes, you can. As it turns out, it's neither be attentive to the necessities where Jesus is present, or be spiritual in his presence. You know, it's not make the parish ready for worship on Sunday morning, or come and be worshipped. It's both. If no one in this church ever bothered to take care of the grounds or to prepare meals or to claim the vessels of the Holy Eucharist, what kind of church would New Shepherd be? Of course, it would be a church that was unkept and unappealing and seemingly unappreciated. On the other hand, our primary purpose for having a church is not so that we will have some place to claim and to maintain. The reason we have a church is to invite Jesus in and to sit at his feet and to listen to him and to adore him and to learn from him and to be changed by him. There's a story about a Native American man who was walking one day with his Caucasian friend in downtown New York City near Times Square. It was during the lunch hour, and the streets, of course, were just filled with people. Car horns were blaring, taxi cabs were weaving in and out of traffic, sirens could be heard wailing, maybe there was the sound of a jackhammer on the sidewalk. In other words, it was a typical noontime in Manhattan. But suddenly the Native American said to his friend, he said, I hear a cricket. His friend said, what? He must be crazy. He couldn't possibly hear a cricket in the midst of all this rapture. No, I'm sure of it, said the Native American. I heard a cricket. The Native American became focused listening intently for just a moment. And then with a sense of purpose, he walked straight across the street over to a big cement planter where some shrubs were growing. And he looked into the bushes and he pushed back some branches. And sure enough, there was the cricket. His friend who had followed him across the street was utterly amazed. That's incredible. You must have some kind of superhuman here. No, said the Native American, my hearing is no different than yours. It all depends on what you're listening for. But that can't be, said the friend. I can never hear a cricket in all this noise. That's true, came the reply. It depends what is on what is really important to you. <coughs> here, let me show you. We're from the Native American reached into his pocket and he pulled out a few coins and he discreetly dropped them on the sidewalk by, by himself. And then with the noise of the crowded streets still blaring in their ears, they noticed that every head within 20 feet turned to look and see if the money had been theirs. Well, see what I mean? Asked the man. It all depends on what's important to you. It depends upon what you're listening for. 
The Bible says many things are and many things can be important. Jesus, along with the author of Ecclesiastes, says that for everything there is a season and for, and for every matter and a time for every matter under heaven. There is a time to claim and a time to make ready. Thank God for all forgiveness. <laughs> At times, that, that will be a very important and very appropriate business to be about. It is important to make preparations for and to invite Jesus in. It is important to be about the Lord's work. It is important to keep our church clean. More important even to feed the poor post yard sales for the benefit of the church and God's people. It's important to be about the work God has given us to do. But not if in the doing we have no time to be with God and simply rest in the hope. And not if we become so busy we do not have time for one another. I begin to close with this. When I was a very small child, I was maybe four years old, my family and I took a trip to South Georgia to Lake Placid, New York. And I was told that the reason we were making this trip was so that my, I and my brother could experience a white Christmas. Well, they had to explain that But I really, really remember very, very little about that trip, but I do remember that we stayed in a two-story white uh, bed and breakfast. And I remember going out onto a local lake or pond that was frozen over. Remember, this was the reason for driving 1,500 miles. <laughs> so I, I said, <clears throat> truth is, I just didn't stay talking to these roads. Parents go out of their way. But anyway, my parents wanted me to have this experience. So mostly what I recall is that it was cold and it was wet and I was miserable. But at any rate, I also remember falling down and not being able to get back up. No matter how hard I tried, as soon as one foot would find the ice, the rest of me would become a symphony of animated arms and legs, and down I'd go again. Well, after a few attempts, this is a true story, this boy who was obviously a local, he skated over to me and uh, standing over me looking down, he said, you know, if you want to get, get up and skate, you got to get on your knees. Well, it worked. I didn't skate very well, but at least I managed to get on two feet for a while. <clears throat> I say all that to say this, it occurs to me that walking with God is something like that. First thing you got to do is get on your knees. That's job one. That's the first step. That's the immediate priority. The doing, the doing comes after the need. I think that's pretty much all Jesus was trying to say to Martha on that occasion so many years ago. Martha, Martha. There is need of only one thing. Hospitality is a wonderful thing. 
Jesus is saying, doing things on my behalf is wonderful. But the most important thing is that there be hospitality in your heart. The most important thing is that you make space for me, says Jesus, in your heart. The most important thing is that God rest easy in your heart and that God abide in your heart and be comfortable there and be with him. That's the first step and that's the most important step. Other steps will fall. They will all be appropriate. But don't neglect the most important thing. That is, says Jesus, to spend time with me all the time, uncompromising time, devoted time, and to be with and be present with one another in our goings out and in our comings in, in our joys and yes, in our sorrows, in our triumphs and in our struggles. Whenever you like the hospitality, says Jesus, well, that's important. said it's only need of one thing that is to make room for me in your heart and in your soul in your mind and your life let the other things that fall grow and come out of that Amen. Amen.